you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask or don't think you need to wear one, then don't. <laughs> I can't play a trumpet with a mask. Can't, I can preach with a mask, but I prefer not to. And you're far enough away, so it's not, that, it's not an issue, is it? We praise God for his safety and what he provides, and we're thankful that we can continue to come together and worship together without restraint. And so we praise God for that. Our scripture reading this morning is following our series in Mark. We're at, we're at message number two in that series. We'll be going all the way through Mark. So you can turn to Mark chapter one this morning. We'll read that first chapter. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. And if you prefer to read as I do in the ESV, they have Bibles in the ESV. So raise your hand. They'll bring that Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. And as you get your Bible, as you turn, please stand with me in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, brothers of, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and cried and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of, of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. May God give us understanding and a portion of scripture that we read and be preaching from this morning. Our text is this chapter 1 of Mark. And may we be in tune as the Holy Spirit speaks and teaches us from his word. We're going to bow for a word of prayer, and then after prayer, our choir will come with uh, special music, and then our uh, message for this morning. So let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to meet here today, for carrying us through another week, and allowing us to come and to fellowship and to worship, to see one another, to encourage one another, to hear your word and to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be motivated to continue on. Bless us as we look at this series in, in Mark that you might open our eyes to see you and to recognize you who you are and to glorify you, worship and praise and honor you in what we do. So we thank you for all who are here today. We also pray and thank you for those who couldn't be here today, some because of snow and some because of, of um, health and, and sickness. We just pray that you would just watch over each one. 
um, those who are sick, and we mentioned those in our prayer uh, email. We just pray that you would just watch over and be with each one. We think of uh, Patty this morning with uh, Maya, and we pray, Lord, for just that you might heal and, and bless in her little body, that you might bring about healing and, and uh, cause her to be well again. We thank you for Brian being back here and the prayers that have gone out for him. We thank you for the people who just show their love and their prayer and their concern. And we thank you for your healing as only you can do. And uh, we just ask that you continue to watch over. We have families who uh, have been struggling with sickness. We think of John and Keisha and their family. We ask that you just watch over and bless them. We have others who have had just different challenges in their life. We just pray that you just be with your people here and that you would bless. And Lord, as you heal and as we, you strengthen us, that we might honor you with our strength and with our health by coming to serve you here at this assembly, this church, and that we might serve you in all that we do, whether at home or here uh, and, and wherever you send us, that we might have a testimony to bring you glory. We pray for those who will be traveling. We think of Charles and how faithful he is, and he has some time to visit family in Chicago. We pray for a safe uh, return for him. We thank you for answering prayer and, and bringing Lawrence back and giving him safety as he traveled this weekend and allowing him to be back with us again. So we, we're thankful for that, Lord. Uh, we just counted a blessing for all of the things that you have done. We don't want to uh, take that lightly uh, or be uh, unappreciative of, of what you do. So we want to worship and praise you and uh, thank you. And we mentioned in our private and personal prayers of of the many things that you have done and how you have kept and blessed us um, through this week. I think of my own wife and the procedure that she had this week and just being with her and watching over her and, and, and keeping her. So, Lord, we thank you for all those things. Uh, they're not little, but there's so many that uh, we, we recognize just a few, and it, it, it seems like uh, uh, small things because you do so many things for us, and yet we... Just want to say thank you and praise you. We continue to pray for uh, faith and for we pray for uh, salvation for loved ones, Lord, that we are concerned about and uh, whether their health issues lead them to to look at you. To, to we pray that that might bring them to trust in you and call on you as Lord and Savior and have faith in you. So we pray for them in that way. Each one of us here has someone in their family that doesn't know you. And we pray that we'll be a testimony to them and that you would, you would continue to move in their hearts and in their lives. Now pray that you bless your word as we hear it. Help us in applying it in our lives and understanding and being challenged and encouraged by your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated as our choir comes. In our introduction in this series last week, we found a key to Acts, a key to Mark in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 34, lays out lays out what Mark is all about, the storyline of Mark. So let me read that. Acts 10, verse 34 through 43. 
So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the gospel of Mark in a nutshell. Take note of it. It's a message of Mark or John Mark is his name. And his testimony, or excuse me, the testimony that he got from Peter as he spent time with Peter. And so we'll have you think through that as we look at the gospel of Mark and what is he giving us. Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us what this is. This is the story of Jesus. He says, in the beginning, excuse me, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, the gospel is good news. You know, you heard that term before. But it's the good news that points to Jesus. Any other good news that doesn't point to Jesus is just relatively good. Got to put a quote around that because it's got to be qualified. Jesus brings the real and lasting good news. And that's what the gospel is. It is the good news of Jesus. And it says here, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so this is the introduction to this story. And this story is about the life of Jesus. And he goes right into that story. And it starts like this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Mark starts off by quoting the Old Testament and the promise given in the Old Testament concerning God the Father gave this promise that he was going to have a prophet introduce this Jesus. And we know this quote is coming from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. We see it there, chapter 40, verse 2 and 3. You'll, you'll, you'll get the context of that quote. And we know when John comes on the scene, he makes reference to this that he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what is he crying? What is his message? He says, get ready. The Lord is coming. Get ready. Now, in the Old Testament, when they thought of the Lord coming, they thought about God the Father, Jehovah coming. 
And so, true enough, he is. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But John the Baptist is saying, look, I came here to present to you the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming, and you need to prepare for his coming. Now, how were they to prepare? It says in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He says that the nation of Israel and the individuals in the nations needed to repent. What does repent mean? It, it's a word that, that uh, I don't know that we use it as often as we should or as we should. You cannot have salvation apart from repentance. and You cannot trust in Christ without re also repenting. Repenting means to turn from sin and to turn to God. People want to take today's message or the gospel message today as one of just trusting God. Don't forget the repent part. John says it here, repent as you prepare for Christ's coming. Jesus says it as well. In verse 14, he says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is echoed again. It's, a, it's the message of the gospel. Not just good news that you ought to be comforted with, but good news you receive by repenting and believing. Turning from sin and turning to God. And so John echoes that message. Repent. He's preparing people for this coming of Jesus Christ. In our Sunday school wrap-up today, um, and I talked to Brian afterwards because he, he did an amazing thing. He, he, he challenged you to think of the keys of the Word of God. And, and I told him, I said, you know, that's a very difficult thing. That is a lifetime ambition that the pursuit that I've been doing is, Lord, what, how do I put your word together? And so often we, we think of the facts and information and we gather these facts about different things of the word of God and, and you need those facts, but how are you putting it together? What is God saying in his word? And so I, I challenge as I think through that, I want you to think about what is chapter one? What is the message what is the key of chapter 1? What is the message that we're going to get in chapter 1? All 45 verses. I want to tell you this. I'm going to give you the key so you won't miss it. And I want you to think through it and meditate through it as, you, as we speak on it today. And then as you go throughout the week, I want you to think and meditate on the key of this chapter and how it fits into all of Mark and how it fits into all of the gospel and how it fits into all of scripture. Before we get it, let's just uncover a few things and see if we can pick up hints of it. Let me give you the overview of this chapter, some of the key events that's happening in chapter 1, and see how we can relate those to the key. We already saw the introduction to the story of Jesus in chapter 1, I mean in verse 1 of chapter 1. 
in verse 2 through 8, we see the preparation of John the Baptist. We're introduced to John the Baptist before we're introduced to Jesus because John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. Verses 9 through 13, we see the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. Verses 14 through the rest of the chapter, we see Jesus begins his ministry on earth. Within that section, we see he proclaims the gospel, verse 14 and 15. He calls his first disciples in verses 16 through 20. He heals a man with an unclean spirit, verses 21 through 28. And you probably don't even have to write these down. What you, if, you, if you have a, a, a study Bible, you'll see uh, probably headings to, to the paragraphs, and, and they may very much go with what I'm just saying, or they may be separated a little differently, but I'm going to separate them this way. So we talked about he proclaiming the gospel. He calls his first disciples. He heals a man with unclean spirit, verses 21 through 28. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and others in verse 29 through 34. And in verse 35, he prays. Verse 36 through 39, we see him preaching in Galilee. In verses 40 through 45, he, cleanse, uh, he cleanses a man who has leprosy. So those are the major sections in this chapter. How are we to see them fitting together? What's the common theme and what's the common message that we have coming in chapter 1. John came, verse, verse 4, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Many people are coming out to him. And John makes this statement in verse 7. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I can, I can tell you right now, put a little asterisk in your mind on that statement because it helps us see what this whole chapter begins to center on, what John says about this one who's coming after him. What does he say? He says he's mightier than I. In fact, if you look at the other Gospels, you'll see that John was questioned by the, 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 the Jews, and, and he said, hey, who are you? And why are you baptizing like this? Why, why are you commanding people to, to be baptized and to repent of their sin and prepare for this kingdom that's coming? And he says, hey, don't look at me. I'm nothing. After me is coming one who's way mightier than me. You see, they were impressed with John. John spoke with authority. His, his speech, his, his, his dress, everything was different about him. He was totally committed to the Lord, and God had used him and was using him in a very powerful way. We can see the little bit that, that the Gospels tell us about John. He was a mighty man. Jesus himself said that there's not another man born among women that, that, that is like him. He, he, he's one of a kind. And certainly he was. Notice also we see in chapter, in our chapter here, verse 14, it just kind of skips over. It says, now after John was arrested, 
So it's, it's banking that we know a little bit about the story, and this is being told to us after these things have happened, and it kind of put it in, in, in perspective for us. So we know then that John was arrested, and, and we know that he was arrested for, for preaching the gospel. And he had the audacity to go to the king and say, look, you being married to this woman is unlawful, and it's against God. He was a powerful witness, and they knew him as such. But John said, hey. They said, well, hey, are, are, who are you? Are you some great prophet? Are, are, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Christ? He right away, no, I'm not the Christ. He said, but I came to introduce this Christ. And he's one that's coming that's greater, mightier than me. And he says, I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to stoop down and untie his shoe. That's how John expressed it. And I would imagine if you saw the crowds that were coming out to John and the, and the influence he had, that was a mighty statement he made about this one who's coming after him. So we take note of that in this chapter. And then we see something else in, in verses uh, 9 through 11. Jesus is baptized by John. He's in the region of Galilee. It says he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And what Mark, the writer, focuses on, he says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's one statement and, and, and the picture that we get from all four of the Gospels. They all tell us this this happened, and so it, it's significant. But what does it really mean? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove, and we heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Well, one gospel it gives us a, a clear picture, an understanding of it, and that's in John. So we're going to turn there to uh, John. In John chapter 1. Verse 19, it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And he goes on and says, verse 24, Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you, notice what he says, Among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Okay? So it's still a little puzzle there. If you look Get to verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. He being John. John sees Jesus. The very next day after he made that statement to them and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. What, a, what, what, what did John mean by that? I didn't know who he was. I don't think he meant I didn't know him personally. Look at the gospel. And Luke, you realize that John's related to Jesus. That's his cousin. Not that he didn't know anything about him. He, he's saying, God didn't reveal this truth to me that this Jesus is the Christ. But now he has. This Jesus of Nazareth is the one. Look what he says. I myself, verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. What, what's the significance of that? John tells us in verse, 20, verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That just kind of unlocks all that event or all that what was happening there. John says, look, I was told by God himself, the one who sent me to baptize, that I was going to see the Christ. And here's a sign that I would know him when I saw him, that he would be the one of all the ones you baptize. He would be the one that God would send down the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove and it would, it would, it would set itself upon this one. And when that happened, something else happened. A voice appeared out of heaven. And that voice said this. So read verse he says, he on him whom you see the Spirit descends and remains, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John was sure he had heard from God himself. And the significance then of that voice is to verify to John and let everybody else around know that this voice was saying this. John himself could put it in perspective because God had told him you're going to see this happen and when you see it know what is happening. And so John hears this voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a powerful testimony. So here we have the testimony of John. We have the testimony of God. And now let's look at the testimony of Jesus himself. Go back to Mark with me. We have the temptation of Jesus in verses 12, 13. John, oh, Mark here doesn't give us much detail of that. It just tells that immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. So it's the Holy Spirit that, that so we, we have the start of Jesus' earthly ministry with the power of the Holy Spirit residing on him and taking him out to a place to be tested. And there he was tested. And you can read in the other Gospels of how he passed that test. And now he's ready for his ministry. And now in verse 
14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. In other words, part of the gospel says, here's a time right now. It's not something in the future that, that you have to, to, to be aware of necessarily. It is right now. It's nothing more that we're waiting for, in other words. It's right now. The time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what are we to do? Repent and believe the gospel. There's so much in that message there. The truth that, that comes to us calls for a response by us. It's not just something to know. So many people think today that they have right relationship with God because they know the gospel. That's not enough. He presents that truth and says there's a response that has to be made by each one, and that is for us to repent and believe in the gospel. What is this gospel? It is that God is bringing salvation through his Son. None other way but through Jesus. Repent and turn to him and trust in him. You should be getting in what this key is. The key in chapter 1 is Jesus in his authority. Jesus in his authority. He is declaring his authority in so many ways in this chapter to make it known who he is. It becomes even more apparent as we get into the next section when Jesus begins to call his disciples. He begins his earthly ministry on the authority of the testimony of John, on the authority of the testimony of the Old Testament, on the authority of the testimony of God the Father himself. He begins to do what he's done. It, it, based then is saying, Jesus' authority says you cannot ignore who he is, how he's lived, and what he says. He is one with authority. He begins to call his first disciples in chapter 1 verse 16. He speaks, it speaks there of Simon and Andrew, two brothers. They were fishermen. What does Jesus say to them? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, he says. He commands them, he calls them, and he instructs them to come to him. Follow me. What happens? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately is one of those words in this chapter. I think I counted it 12, 13 times in this chapter alone. Or something like, or something having the same meaning of the word immediately. I can, uh, if you want to jot it down, chapter 1, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 20, 21, 23, 28. In verse 28, <laughs> he uses another word. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 29, verse 30, verse 35, verse 42, verse 43. All those have this sense of immediately. Why is the word, what's the word immediately? It means urgent, right? It, it, it depicts urgency and it depicts action. Those two things, urgency and action. Jesus' call um, means that we need to respond with urgency and action. We see that 
with his, his first two disciples, these two brothers. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. What do you mean they left their nets? They were fishermen. Fishing wasn't something they did for fun. It was something they did for a living. It's something that paid, got brought food on the table, okay? Not just for them. You saw, we'll see later on in the chapter that Peter has a mother-in-law, so he's married. <laughs> he's got a family. It's not just his well-being, but his whole family is dependent on him fishing. It says immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. The call of Jesus causes us to turn from all that we're doing and turn to him. That may not mean he wants you to necessarily quit your job, but it's saying it's significant. It's, an, it's a major change in your life. You ought to change what it is you're doing. Now, in this case, he said, don't change fishing. Just change how you fish. You're going to become fishers of men now. He said, I'm going to use the skill that I've given you, the task that you were doing before. I'm going to use that same task, and I'm going to redirect you. You're going to become fishers of men. Notice immediately they followed him. It goes on in the next phrase. It says, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Two sets of brothers. Jesus calls. And they were also, it says, they were in a boat, in their boat, mending the nets. Again, they were fishermen. They had their own boat. Uh, I can only imagine what it meant to, to, to have your own boat and to own. It means you had invested quite a bit in, in this job of, of, of fishing. But it says here, when Jesus called them, verse 28, immediately he called them. We see urgency, don't we? We see action that's called for. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. What does that mean? They left everything. The call from Jesus means that we turn from family to God. He's asking you to hate your family. No, he's saying you are now being called to a greater family. It's as if everything else you did before is nothing compared to what I'm calling you now. It's a commitment. It's a strong commitment, even, even stronger than the natural bonds of mom and dad, brother or sister, husband or wife. Yes, it's stronger than all of that. Jesus comes first. We see his authority. How can he command them to leave all that they're doing and to follow him? He speaks with authority because of who he is. As he begins his ministry, he calls men to his work. God is still doing that today. He's still calling us to, to, to his work today, and he still is calling with that same authority. He calls. And we see in the next section, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Before he does that, it says they were in Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, there's that word immediately again. You get the, the picture that what Jesus is doing is urgent, and it calls for action. He has stepped in his ministry, and as Mark portrays it, he, he's moving. You know, Mark reminds me of, of, of I, I will call her, like a teenage girl. I, I would say one of those California girls, a teenage. When they tell you a story, 
And like, it was like this, and then like this, and then like this. And what they're saying is this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. The story never ends. That's how Mark is telling the story. Jesus did this, and then and this, and then right after that, then this happened, and all of a sudden, and this happened, and then immediately, this, see, immediately, immediately, immediately. He's telling a story that just has constant action and constant movement. That's the picture that we get from, 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 from Mark here. He says, okay, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, he doesn't focus on this word, but you and I get a hint on the Sabbath. Why is he doing it on the Sabbath? Well, he's doing it purposely on the Sabbath, and we'll see that spelled out more and more as we get through this chapter. He's challenging the wrong tactics and beliefs of, of, of the people he's going against. They, they, they're going to watch what he's doing on the Sabbath. God, they got all these rules of what should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath, and he purposely violates their rules to show what's more important. Doesn't violate God's rules, he violates theirs, and he shows that he has authority. He has authority on the Sabbath to do what he's doing. His authority is shining forth. And they even say it in verse 23. They were astonished at his teaching. Didn't even tell us what he taught them, but that, that, that their response is apparent. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, that's happening today. Many people today think if you're intellectual, if you're intelligent, you can't say real things and real answers. You have to speak vaguely as if you're not sure of something. Well, we don't quite know. And then they go into all of the reasons why they don't know. Jesus says, look, I know. And I'm going to tell you straight. It's not based on ignorance. It's based on his authority to speak and to speak plainly, and to speak truthfully, and to speak with power. He knew who he was. He knew what he came to do. And so when we come to Christ, we, we, we pick that up. It's not our own authority that we speak on. It's his. We say, thus saith the Lord, and we say it with a, cer a certainty because of who God is, not because who we are and what we've come to know. Now, some people let that, let that authority get to them. They, they love learning the Word of God because they think it gives them some sense of power, knowledge, or authority. But it, remember, it's God's Word. It's, it's God's knowledge. It's God's truth, and it's His authority. We just are messengers. We just present that truth. Jesus spoke with authority, not like the scribes. Here's that word again, verse 23. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He's acknowledging the authority of Jesus. Unclean spirit. We would call him today a demon. A man possessed. Is that still happening today? Of course it's happening today. We see it more often than, than we will probably recognize. But we would admit. But it's happening today. Here's the good thing. Jesus shows his complete authority over it. He cleanses this man with an unclean spirit. And this, this demon, this demonic spirit within this man is, is afraid of Jesus. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? He's pleading and begging with Jesus not to be destroyed. 
What does that show? It shows the authority that Jesus has, the command that he has over all of under God's creation. Every single thing is under his authority. That's why we can sleep at night when we trust in Christ. That's why we need not fret and worry. There's not a single thing, remind yourself of this, there's not a single thing that's not under God's control. There's not a single thing that comes that he needs to be enlightened about. You know, God, I need to meet with you because I got to tell you about what's going on here because you might not have known the trend that's going on now. People's doing this and this is happening here and that. God says, there's no surprises with me. There's nothing I don't know. There's nothing I cannot do. The complete authority of God sets those who trust in him at ease. Jesus has that authority. You can see that authority displayed. He says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. It's amazing. <laughs> we should expect when we think about it for Satan to recognize who Jesus is. Think about that. Ordinary people don't see that and don't know him for who he is until the Holy Spirit takes the veil off their eyes so that they can see. But in the demon world, they see Jesus as he is and they make no mistake about it. They want to have nothing to do with him. Have you ever, have you ever been afraid and ever had to, to, to challenge this, this demonic world and, and the things that are around us. No, you can only do that in Christ. But in Christ, you have no need to fear. Jesus commands. And, and let's, let's take a look at it so we can see. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent. Can I paraphrase? Shut up. He puts him in his place. He says, you have no right to ask me anything, let alone to try to tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Jesus is in complete authority here. He rebukes him. He says, be silent and come out of him. Do you think that demon had an option? Well, when I get ready, when I finish doing what I'm going to do. No, he says, be quiet and get out. And what happens? And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and cried out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands. The word authority in the very next statement, he commands. He didn't ask, would you please? See, we have to ask, I'm begging Jesus, I'm begging in Jesus' name for whatever we need. Jesus commands. He commands even the unclean spirits and what? They obey him. And here's another form of this word, verse 20. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So there's action, there's urgency going on even to Jesus making himself known in that area. He's making himself known as one who has authority 
over every realm, every realm. What's going on in your life? Whatever it is, you're not in any realm that Jesus can't touch, that he can't reach, that he doesn't have command over. All is under his command and under his power, under his authority. We see the next section is verse 28 through 34. Jesus encounters Peter's mother-in-law, and he heals her. The word immediately is there again to denote urgency and action. Jesus is doing what he has come to do, and he's about that business. There's a theme here, and it's something we need to see. I often talk about this with young men and men in general. We need to be about something. You're just hanging out doing nothing. Jesus was about the Father's business. We see the urgency and the action in him. We have men unemployed, men not engaged in positive activity. You're just setting yourself up for failure. When, when we begin to trust Christ, we'll see that we become like him. Men of urgency, men of action. We see that as a part of our walk. So we see Jesus immediately. He left the synagogue, enters the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John were with him. And it just tells us that uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever. And what did they do? Immediately, they told him about her. Why is that? They seen what he's done, and they, they, they love the power, the authority, and the action that he has. And they said, well, hey, here's my mom, my mother-in-law. Can he do something for her? He came and took her by the hand. He took her by the hand. I, I suppose he could have spoke to her, but it tells us he took her by the hand. We'll see that later on with the man who had leprosy. It tells us he touched him. And we'll see the word that he was moved with pity later on. We see Jesus stepping into our realm understanding the afflictions that we go through, and he uses his power and authority in that way to impact us, but not just for the fact that the fever would leave her and she'd be okay and she was able to minister to them, but it makes a statement about who Jesus is. Well, we realize that when we pray to God to heal and he heals, it's not just for the sake of you being healed. It's for the sake of God being glorified and magnified. Now, we also see something that, that just kind of puzzles us throughout this chapter. We say, if, if it's, a, it's for the sake of God being glorified and magnified, why does Jesus tell people not to say anything? Well, he tells them, not, don't tell anybody. But there's a reason. When we get to the end of the chapter, it's a very practical reason. Jesus wants people to come to know him not just because of fascination and fame, but he wants to bring them to real faith. Now, I use those three F's for a reason, so you remember it. Some people are fascinated with what Jesus is doing here. And we see that immediately his fame spread about, right? That people are getting to know. He was in a small area of Galilee, and, and, and word about him was passing around. We can imagine today, man, Facebook was lighting up, right? Everybody was saying what was happening. Did you see this? Did, did, did this happen here and this happened here? And word was getting out. But just like today, there's a lot of people fascinated 
by what Jesus has done. They're fascinated by your testimony. I, I tell people all the time, man, if you will walk into our church, you will see people whom God has saved from all walks of life, and it's amazing when you hear their testimony and their story. But it's got to go f- further than just a fascination with what God is doing. It's got to go further than the fame of him for what he's done, people knowing him abroad. It's more than that. It has to be established a real faith that's based on a relationship. And as we talked about before, it's that repent and believe factor. Not just be in awe. Yeah, you're going to be in awe of what he's done and his power and his authority. But it's beyond that. It is a personal action and a faith that, 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 that comes from you and from me to trust and to follow Jesus. Earlier in the chapter, we saw the disciples that Jesus had called, and we note then that he hadn't done any miracles yet. (laughs) He had spoken to them. He began to proclaim the gospel, and he called them, and yet they followed him. It wasn't based on fascination and fame. It was a true faith. Later on, some of those people who followed Jesus because of fascination and fame, and when he began to say some difficult things like, hey, when you walk with me, you're going to be persecuted. People are like, I don't want that. They begin to turn away, and Jesus said to his disciples, are you going to turn away too? And he said, no, where are we going to go? We have come to know that you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. So we know you're true. You're the one that the Father has has proclaimed through the prophets from the Old Testament, and you are the true one. We come and we trust in you. And so we see Jesus heals many in this section. In verse 32, it says, That that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. (laughs) Again, he didn't want people just out of fascination coming. And also, his spokesperson, (laughs) not the demons, is me and you should be speaking forth the truth of the word of God. I've seen a lot of people who know some things about God and who seem to be very anxious to say it, but they don't show by their own lives a true and real relationship with God. God is saying the same thing to them. Be quiet and get out. We don't need that testimony. God knows who he is. He's showing himself through his son and through those who his son has impacted and brought to repentance and belief. Very important section, verse 35. Rising early in the morning, that's another way of saying the first thing he did, right? Is another one of those immediately uh, terms. Rising first, rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In the middle of his activity, in the middle of his urgency, he saw a need to commune with the Father. And, and we need to see this. If Jesus did this, certainly it's important for us to do this as well. If we walk with Christ, we will walk as he walked. We need to be empowered by our communing with God. We need to spend more time in personal prayer. Jesus made it a, 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 um, a, a very important thing for him to do. He, he, he made it 
uh, something that, that he put first in his day and first in his life. He communed with God. His authority <laughs> is shown in his relationship with the Father. The importance that he put on that is shown here as well. Well, while he was away, his disciples were looking for him. They finally found him. And this is what he says. Let's go, verse 38. Let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also. But this is why I came. That's his purpose. He continued on. In verse 40 through 45, we see his encounter with the leper. Let me just read part of that. Leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice the faith of this leper. He's imploring, he's begging, he's, he's on his knees begging Jesus. We see the authority of Jesus that he would be begged in that way. This man knew that Jesus had power. He said, if you want, you can do this. I have no doubt that you can do it. Why did he have no doubt? He had seen what Jesus had done, and he was certain of what Jesus was capable of. And it says Jesus moved with pity. You see that? Verse 41. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him. That's a personal touch. Jesus reaches out to human beings like me and you, and he sees our desperate situation. He sees our physical need. He sees, moreover, our spiritual need, and he's moved. He has compassion. He has love and a burden for his people. He's moved, and it says he did something that you don't do to a leprous person. He touched him. Now, we can relate to that, can't we? Yeah, we can relate to that. It's amazing to me that I see people on the news doing a broadcast and, and even our politicians, when they give speeches, they're wearing this mask. All right. Are you scared the microphone going to give you the disease or you're going to give it to the microphone? Ain't nobody else around you. I know what they're doing. It's, it's signaling. They're trying to show you that they take it seriously, that you wear a mask. I don't need the message from them. What we see is that we live in a society where the virus has affected everything that we do, and we've been told to stay six feet apart from everybody. We've been told in church you can't even sing because your, your singing going out can impacts somebody else. We've been made to be so fearful of everything that we have stopped doing what we normally do. And I'm not ridiculing the fact that we need to be careful. And there's, there's a place for wearing our masks. That can be a good thing. I want you to see how Jesus stepped past the norm and he touched a leprous man. Le leprosy was contagious. And a person who had leprosy, the person who had leprosy was to state immediately when anybody came in contact or close to them, that get away, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Jesus went up to this man. This man already expressed his faith. He says, if you can, if you want, if you desire, 
you can make me whole. You can cleanse me. Jesus didn't have to touch him, but he did. Jesus is not afraid to come around us in our sickness, in our sinfulness, and all that we are. He meets us right where we are. And he touched this man. And he simply says, I will. In other words, it's my desire. I desire that you be cleansed and you will be cleansed. That's what he said to this man. He shows not just his authority. It's one thing to have all authority and all power. It shows his compassion that goes along with that authority. You know, that's what we hope for. If we ever know somebody in a high position of authority, we hope that we have a relationship with them where they'll look on us well. And Jesus is saying, I do that. And so it says here, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And slowly but surely, no, it doesn't say that. Immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It means like that. Like that. Immediately he was healthy. I alluded to this what Jesus says in verse 44 see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer to for your cleansing what Moses commanded him for proof to them now there was, there was procedures that had been laid out in the word of God in the Old Testament in the law of how they were to deal with this and Jesus says follow those procedures do that but this man, he says, he went out, verse 45, and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, why didn't Jesus want that to happen? It tells us in this verse. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. We'll see later on in, in, in the story of Jesus' ministry that many times he had to get in a boat and be on the, uh, in the water so that he could have the crowd around him without pressing him, and he could still be effective in speaking to all of them. He was saying, I don't want that to happen, and that's why he didn't want the message to go out too much. And then, like I said, he didn't want people simply following him for fascination. The authority of Jesus is on display in chapter 1. Have you surrendered to that authority in your walk with him? Are you in the habit of surrendering to that authority daily and saying, Jesus, I've trusted you. You are my Lord and my Savior. This day, I want to walk in obedience to you. I want to please you in all that you, in all that I do. But you surrender to that willingly. You start by trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent and believe. You continue that by your walk with Jesus as he calls the disciples to follow him, to, to come apart from all that you've done and to make him wholeheartedly your desire and your purpose and you walk with him and you continue and you see him working in every day of your life and you surrender to him in every area of your life. You have a new urgency. You have new action because of Jesus who has authority 
over all of his creation. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for opening up your word to us. You will guide us in our own personal, everyday walk from this point on. We might recognize Jesus. The demons recognize him, but they did it out of fear, and they know his authority. The leprous man recognized him, and he did it because he had a need and knew Jesus could meet that need, and he put his faith in Jesus. May we be like him. The disciples followed him wholeheartedly, leaving job, leaving family. In other words, turning their whole lives to follow Jesus. And Jesus proclaimed, as John had proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's time right now to repent and turn in our lives to trust you. You're bringing about your kingdom right now. And we see it in Jesus. May we have the appropriate, urgent, responsive action today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.